Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks for joining us here for episode 715. If you would like for work to feel more exciting and motivating and fulfilling, well, we've got some good stuff for you here with Laura Garnett, who's sharing how you can find and stay in your genius zone. All the better. So you'll learn one, two key questions that unlock your genius zone. Two, how to uncover what truly motivates you. And three, a handy tool to help turn genius into a habit. So if you want to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to items that we've mentioned here, they are at awesomeatyourjob.com slash EP715. And if you're at awesomeatyourjob.com, I recommend you check out some cool stuff like the Gold Nugget email list, which provides summary wisdom from Laura and all of the guests who have gone before her in a quick email you can read in under two or three minutes. It's called the Gold Nuggets at awesomeatyourjob.com. And here is Laura's story. Laura Garnett is a performance strategist, mother, TEDx speaker, and author of The Genius Habit and Find Your Zone of Genius. She guides CEOs, executives, entrepreneurs, and teams to new heights of success by shining a light on their unique purpose, values, and abilities, transforming the way they work, and freeing them to make decisions with confidence and clarity. She's consulted with organizations including Google, Pandora, LinkedIn, and Splunk. Prior to launching her own company, New York City-based Garnett Consulting, she honed her marketing strategy and career-refining skills at companies like Capital One, American Express, IAC, and Google. Big thanks to Laura for sharing her wisdom with us. Big thanks to our sponsors. Check them out. One sponsor to check out is LinkedIn Jobs. Did you know that you can post a job for free at linkedin.com slash be awesome? And with a fresh year, perhaps you're like many small business owners looking for some fresh insight and talent to make 2024 extra amazing. Well, LinkedIn Jobs has created tremendous tools to help you find the right professionals for your team faster and free. I love how they make it so easy with their promotion and selection tools. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. No, no, no. LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. Here's some fun facts. 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours, and small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash awesome. That's linkedin.com slash B-E-A-W-E-S-O-M-E, as in you are being awesome, be awesome, to post your job for free. Terms and conditions do apply. Now, here is Laura. Laura, thanks for joining us here on How to Be Awesome at Your Job. Thank you so much. I'm delighted to be here. Well, I'm excited to be talking about the genius habit, finding your zone of genius. And I want to hear a little bit about some of your experiences. Mm, Sure. Judging dairy at Virginia State (laughs) and doing it well. Apparently, you're a genius at judging dairy. You were a champion when 13 What's the story, and and does this fit into any of your current endeavors? (laughs) That's a great question. I grew up on a dairy farm, and my dad was an actual farmer. And one of the things that that he did, I was a member of 4-H, and I don't know for those listening that maybe grew up on a farm, 4-H was the thing farm children do. But my dad was the coach for dairy judging. So it was something that I definitely was involved in. And it's competitive. You go to competitions and essentially what you're doing is that you're taking a group of four cows and you're placing them in order of best to worst. 
And you do that about 20 different times. There's like 20 different classes. And then you submit your scores and then they're calculated. And whoever scores the cows in the right place the most wins. And I tended to win a lot, Mm -hmm. which was interesting. Well, it's so meta because you're judging the cows and you're being judged on how well you're judging. Well, there's a lot of judging going on. And of course, that's something that I talk a lot about that you want to avoid. But yeah, I think think the part of it that I was good at was that at the end of the day, they would pick one of those 20 classes, or maybe it was 10, I can't remember, that randomly. And then you would have to stand up and give a speech to a judge um, by memory and tell them why you selected one cow over the other. So you would create this speech and then give it to them. Mm-hmm. And so they were called reasons. Good name. <laughs> and I, at the time I was like wanting to be an actress, love to be on stage. So the reasons were a lot of fun for me and that made it interesting. <laughs> That's good. That's good. Well, well, well kudos. And so <laughs> let's talk about judgments a, a little bit, or this is a four segue into, let's talk about the genius habit, finding your zone of genius could you maybe open us up with a story in, in terms of what's really at stake here with your regard to this body of work and, and what could it do for people? Well, this was really born from my own story of my life and my journey towards creating a career and work experience that I loved. And it started, and I talk about this in the book, but it started with just this massive career crisis that I had at all places, Google. And it was one of those very complex situations where the world was telling me I was in the best company to work for. And inside, I was miserable and had one of the worst jobs that I'd ever had. And prior to that, I'd been in the corporate world for seven years and had really only experienced promotions or success, lots of positive feedback. So to be in a job where I didn't feel good and I was also getting feedback that I wasn't performing was devastating for me. And that situation just prompted this journey of inquiry, of starting to ask questions of myself and of the world in ways that I'd never asked before. You know, and I started thinking, what is my purpose? You know, is it possible for me to to experience fulfillment at work? And how can I, I was, I've always been really driven. How can I create the kind of success I want, but experience something that's nothing like this horrible feeling that I have in this moment. Because in that moment of having this horrible job, I had no idea how to fix it. I was helpless. And so I went seeking answers. And, um, and when I really couldn't come up with anything, come up with anything substantial, um, that's when the, the journey started of solving it on my own. And that's kind of where um, the genius habit was born. Mm-hmm. Well, so then I'd love to get your view. I guess we're gonna we're gonna zoom out yeah. shortly in terms of talking about the the process and methodology and how we can all find our zone of genius. And mm. but I guess in the, your particular case and instance, you went out seeking answers. And what was the answer? Why was it that this <laughs> a, allegedly uh, amazing job at Google mm. wasn't doing it for you? Yeah. So I started reading a lot of books at the time. That was What Colors Your Parachute. It's a pretty Mm -hmm. famous book to read in the moments of career despair. And I also hired coaches. And the, the answers that I got was a lot of data and information on myself, which at the time was really interesting. And at one point, I think it was 
Um, I, I don't know if you're familiar, another book I read called The Pathfinder by Nicholas Lohr. I loved that book. And what they said was, if this book has resonated with you, you can take a test. And I was thinking that the answer was just learn everything about myself. And I took their test. It took like they mailed, this is back, you know, oh my goodness, 14, 15 years ago. So they sent me the test in the mail on paper. And I went to a cafe in New York City and was filling out the dots with a pencil Mm -hmm. um, and then mailed back my test. And then they called me to say, all right, here are the results. And a coach met with me to kind of help me understand the data. It was fascinating because the coach told me, oh, well, you're meant to be a rock star or a professor. Mm-hmm. And I thought, okay, that is overwhelming. And it was this weird feeling of, okay, I feel like I, maybe I'm learning more about myself, but I don't know what to do with this information. And that's exactly what the problem was. Too much information and not a plan or a way of changing the way I was operating to get a different result. Because what I did was in the midst of all of that data on myself and I was pretty clear at that point I wasn't going to be a rock star. I mean, professor seems... means literally a performer of <laughs> rock and roll music, a musician. That's that's what they mean by a rock star. In this... It is. And I remember okay. telling them, I that said, I played perform. the flute. <laughs> I played the flute like eight years ago. I don't think this is going to be my path. It felt a little out of reach, let's say. It felt a little out of reach. So I started in a job search. And, you know, I did something that pretty much all of my clients do in that moment of lacking clarity and understanding. I just took the first job offer that came my way because it looked good. It was a startup. It was this Frank Gehry building in Chelsea, Manhattan, that was actually walking distance from the Google offices that I'd been eyeing like, oh, I want to work in that building. And all of the things that don't matter at all were coming forth. And I said, oh, this is great. This is the, my next job. And I went to that job and realized within a month that it was another, it was better than the worst job I'd had at Google, but it was still not a great fit. Especially since I had all this information on myself, I was like, this isn't the right fit. So once again, I just didn't know what to do. So it was really, and then I got laid off. The 2009 financial crisis hit when I was at that new job. And within nine months, the startup went down the drain and I got laid off. And I think for me, and I've seen this with other people, that was like the line in the sand where I said, enough is enough. I'm going to solve this on my own. And what I soon realized was that this information was overwhelming. When people read these books and they're trying to figure out what do I do differently, information overload doesn't help. It kind of adds to the confusion. And what I saw that was missing was a way of operating, a habit behavior habits that I didn't have, I needed to create. And what were those? And that was what I started to see and distill in my research on the science, psychology, and neuroscience of success and performance. And uh, soon, you know, and I dove into that. And then the methodology of the genius habit kind of came forth. But that was also a result of me committing to only doing work that was energizing and engaging, which was me using my genius. And that's how it started. Okay. Only doing work that's energizing and engaging. Absolutely. So that's a clear, you said line in the sand. That's a clear, direct principle guideline. I think most listeners right now might be thinking, oh yeah, that'd be nice. (laughs) Well, and that's honestly like, like that's step one. And of course I left the corporate world and woke up the next day and said, okay, I'm going to create my dream job. And the first step to doing that was to only do what I wanted to do. And that slowly led me, again, it took time before I got to doing what I'm doing right now. Um, But that journey of 
starting to, when things didn't were boring or not exciting, I pivoted and I turned. And also probably a couple years into that spaghetti throwing process of I'm only going to do what I want to do. And I'm going to solve this problem of helping creating my dream job and helping others do the same. The methodology started to crystallize. And the first real structure of the methodology was the zone of genius framework, which essentially solves the very problem I had at Google, which was how can you get very clear, very quickly about who you are? And once I saw my zone of genius, then things started to really explode for me. And in terms of getting more clarity and confidence, as well as like the methodology and the business and the work experiencing shifting completely. Okay. So then it sounds like in your own story, only doing what's energizing and engaging got things in motion for the discovery. Yes. It's probably fair to say one ought not to tell their boss immediately after listening to this episode, (laughs) hey, update, I'm only going to do what's energizing and engaging. So find somebody else to to do this. Uh, Although there's job crafting can be done diplomatically and prudently. And that's the genius habit. Right. That's the genius habit. Diplomatically and strategically figuring out how to do only what excites you and motivates you. Absolutely. Sure thing. Well, before we get there to diplomatically articulating (laughs) that request, what is this methodology by which we can discover, aha, this is my zone of genius? Yes. Well, lucky you, because when the genius habit came out, this wasn't available. But for all of your listeners, it is absolutely something they can go to right now because I know everyone's multitasking. You can go to zoneofgeniusquiz.com and take the zone of genius quiz. So you can figure out your zone of genius in probably 10 or 15 minutes. And essentially what the zone of genius framework is meant to do is to be a cheat sheet for understanding very quickly who you are and specifically what will keep you engaged intellectually and what will give you, keep you intrinsically motivated at work. So if you take all of the science and psychology of performance and you distill it, these are the two data points that have to be present in order for you to experience peak performance. Two data points, two data points. That to me was extremely liberating because again, going back to my experience at Google, I was experiencing data overload, so much information on myself. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. And when you, when you boil it down to these two data points, again, making decisions and navigating moments that are directing towards excitement and motivational work becomes easier because you can easily say, okay, am I able to use my genius, which is the thinking or problem solving that I'm best at that checks the intellectual engagement box. And does the impact I'm doing provide my purpose, which is the second data point, your purpose And your purpose is connected to your psychology. It's connected to a core emotional challenge that you've had in your life, which we can dig into because that's kind of a deep topic as well. But the zone of genius framework is just those two simple data points, your genius and your purpose. Okay, lovely. Well, let's let's dig into each of these. So how do we discover our genius? So we got this quiz. Yes, you've got the quiz. So we can go do that. And maybe could you tell us any other means of gathering clues or or what the typology looks like on the other side of that? Yeah, well, essentially at its basic form, it's the thinking or problem solving that you're best at. So it is hard to be objective about yourself because you are not on the receiving end of your thinking and problem solving. So that's what makes it more difficult to see sometimes, which is where the quiz can come in handy. But the easiest way to see it is to think of moments 
where you were super highly engaged and energized by the thinking or problem solving that you were doing and just be present, be really deeply thoughtful about it and start to notice what exactly was the thinking or problem solving that created that excitement and engagement. And that begins kind of the, those are the breadcrumbs of your genius. Mm -hmm. And so you've identified just a few uh, key different types or flavors of of genius. Could you share with us uh, the names and just maybe a, a quick, what does it kind of look, sound, feel like in practice? Yeah. So another way that the work has evolved since the printing of the books is that I've identified four main categories of genius types. Now, this is really helpful to know when you're in a team, what is the category, but each genius name is unique. So the categories are maximizer. That means that you like to take something that already exists and make it better. There's visionary, a visionary person and this speaks to the end result of your genius. A visionary like can easily see what is possible. Mm-hmm. A driver is someone who is the end result of their genius is a goal is accomplished. A solution is solved. Their whole genius process is focused on the art of accomplishing something, finishing something. And then the last one, the fourth one is a builder, meaning that you like to take something where nothing exists before. And you like to build it and you create something that has never existed before. So those are, and the quiz will actually slot you into the category that's right for you, but give you a unique name for your genius. So my genius is a visionary insight excavator. And essentially what that means is that the end result of my genius is that I can see what is possible. But the way that I see that possibility is by seeing patterns in data and getting insights. And those insights then inform the possible, what is possible. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. So, so we've got the categories and then within the categories, we've got uh, some sub facets. I don't know. What, what would you call those? Yeah. And here's the way to think about it. Cause if you're working in a team of people, it's really helpful. It's kind of harder to know all the specific names of the geniuses. It's like learning everyone's first name. You, you can do it, but the categories are, you're able to easily see themes. And it's also easier to think of, this is a tool for efficiency and prioritization, because again, that's another way of moving towards exciting work and moving away from boring work is just to reprioritize and to collaborate with others or get, you know, figure out what is the right work for the right person. And when you know these categories of your team mates, then it's easier to diagnose or be able to pinpoint, okay, this project involves building something from scratch. Are there any builders here? And that can really make that process a lot easier. Okay, lovely. Yeah. Well, then let's hear the second part. You know, the, the impact, it, it provides your purpose. Yes. And, and that often connects to some, some personal history. Walk us through this part. Yeah. So this data point is all about intrinsic motivation. So at the heart, and this is, again, I'm pulling from the science of peak performance and success in the sense that the only way for you to have positive energy at work is to be intrinsically motivated. And for those of you who don't know what that means, it means that motivation comes from within. It's not that you're doing something for the paycheck. External, extrinsic motivation is when you are driven to do something for the reward. 
And there's a host, you can Google all of this. There's so much research on the fact and the, the downside of extrinsic motivation versus intrinsic motivation. The problem is that most people just don't know what is, what is it that's going to intrinsically motivate it? Because I would, everyone would probably sit here and say, I want to be purpose-driven. I want intrinsic motivation, but don't have any understanding of how to create that because it has to come from within yourself which is why it's connected to your psychology, which is, again, when I, when I saw this in people, it was astounding. It was fascinating because we never really associate our psychology with work performance, and yet it's integral. And so that's the purpose data point, which is it is the impact on others or in the world that is most motivating to you. But in order to get to that, you need to understand what your own core emotional challenge has been throughout your life. And when you understand and label and put language to that core emotional challenge, and then you flip it, that becomes your purpose. Hmm. Well, please give us some examples of some core emotional challenges and how they got flipped in the purpose on the other side. Of course. So my core emotional challenge is not being seen or understood. So for me, What is endlessly intrinsically motivating is helping other people see and understand themselves. Now, and it's fascinating because even the most subtle example of me helping someone understand themselves lights me up. It gives me endless energy. And I have seen this be the case with almost everyone once they accurately see that core emotional challenge, that the reverse of it is endlessly motivating because the reason for this is because that core emotional challenge is so painful. When I think of it, I could cry. There's so many instances. It bring, it makes me emotional just to think of it. And so you are unconsciously helping others to avoid having that same pain. And I've seen people are doing this and not even aware that they're doing it, which is what's so amazing about putting language to it is that you see it. It was happening before, but now you see it and you get the added bonus of you're tapping into motivation that's there for you. You just have, you just didn't know it was there. Hmm. It's free. No, cool. (laughs) It's super cool. (laughs) Free motivation sounds great. Yeah. You just have to buy the book and then, then it's free. (laughs) So at the core emotional challenge. Yeah. Likewise, are these a few categories that they, they fall into or is it everyone is sort of a completely unique emotional challenge having person? There are definitely similar. I have not bucketed that one into a series of four parcels because it because I find that when it comes to one's psychology, that while we are all similar in the same way that there are these categories of geniuses, that the nuances of our psychological experiences are infinite. And therefore, it is actually really important, and this is something that I've gotten clear on, it's really important to find the right language that speaks to that unique psychological pain that you experience. So there should be infinite, there's infinite possibility with that. Like in the quiz, I've taken all of the core emotional challenges that I've seen. And I think what you can do is try to find one that is similar to yours. But I always encourage people that Getting the genius and purpose language to begin with is a starting point. It's really, and we'll talk about what the genius habit is because that's the next step. But the second step is for you to feel free to refine the language as you learn more and more about yourself so that it is correct. 
I've rethought myself for the core emotional challenge. Is it this, what for me feels very powerful is the word understood that resonates with me to my core. But again, as I continue to, to grow and evolve and learn, I'm always asking myself, is it that word? And so there's always kind of a, an opportunity to refine that, to make sure that it's, that it's the right language. Mm-hmm. Well, could you give us a couple other core emotional challenges? Sure. There are infinite ones. I mean, I can give you some examples of other clients. I think what's interesting about it though, is that most people think they know what motivates them. I'm always surprised that people will say, and we tend to be overgeneralize what makes us, gives us purpose. So for example, and this is why this work and the genius habit and knowing your zone of genius is a habit of awareness. It's an invitation to go deeper and understand even more details of, of yourself and the power that that then brings. But some people will say, well, I love helping people or I like managing people. I'm really, that's what intrinsically motivates me. And then I'll say, well, after I work with them and we, you know, I understand their core emotional challenge, the precise language might be being a catalyst for someone's exponential growth. And that language is then connected to a specific story or a specific series of events in their childhood where they were actually seeking support and could never find it and always felt a loss of someone just helping them catapult. And so for this person, that language catalyzing someone's potential is meaningful for them to the bone. Another one that I've seen recently is, you know, not feeling alone. And to that person, before creating the more refined language, they would have said, I really love motivating people. That is what they would have said is their purpose, motivating them. But what this person really did was make them not feel alone. Now, what's interesting is that when you ask other people, this was a very senior leader, when you would ask their team for feedback, that purpose would come out. When I would see it in this person and then I would then look for it in feedback, it's there. They would say, oh, he's always there for me. He's always present. And so then as a leader to know, wait a second, this is the precise way that I impact people in a positive way is really powerful in terms of knowing what kind of leader they are. And this particular leader, for example, is exceptional at helping people not feel alone. And when you think about that for a while, there are a lot of people in the business world who feel alone in terms of from their manager. A lot of people I meet with say, I see my manager once a month, once every three months. I do, they don't know what I'm doing. I feel very disconnected. So to be working with someone where they never feel alone is really powerful. And that's something that this person, he never would have articulated his purpose in that way before. Mm-hmm. Well, that's powerful. Well, Laura, maybe to help readers get a bit more flavor for what this journey of self-discovery might look like for them, can we spend a few minutes on me? Of course. Because <laughs> I think with core emotional challenge, what I think... I've heard some call it the idol of performance Hmm. or as I like to, if how it feels to me is like, I really like feeling like a winner Mm -hmm. and I really hate feeling like a loser. Mm -hmm. And so it's funny. And I guess I'm competitive, but not like 
but I'm not super athletic. So I guess <laughs> I'm not that competitive. Like I'm going to scream at someone on a soccer field, or, but I guess it's like, I really like seeing my podcast numbers go up. But I really don't like seeing them go down. I remember one time I had a not so great review at work. And I remember I said, which is really odd. If you think, as I look back at it, I said, that's not who I am. Hmm. And the right response for the reviewer would have been, well, of course, it's not who you are. This is one review for one work period. <laughs> yeah. And it wasn't that horrible. <laughs> it's, it's not your identity. So that's kind of my first guess as to a core emotional challenge. But but how might you lead me? Well, tell me a little bit more about that. What do you mean? So how would you phrase that core emotional challenge? I guess my core emotional challenge is like, I like... Don't like to fail. Well, no, I, I, that's true. I don't like to fail, although it's not disastrous. I've had a few businesses that had zero revenue and it, it wasn't like soul crushing. I was just like, oh, bummer. <laughs> but I guess it's it's when it gets a little, it gets a little bit more personal hmm. in terms of like, ooh, I am, yeah, I am winning or I am losing. Hmm. And when I'm winning, I feel very rejuvenated, like, oh, yes, yes, yes. And when I'm losing, it's like, ah. Well, that's an interesting topic that you're bringing up because what you're referring to is what I call, there's a chapter in The Genius Habit about this called The Achievement Junkie. Okay. And so when you're looking at the science of performance, this and this is pretty typical in the sense that, first off, we are an achievement-based society. So that's one of the big themes of my work is to dismantle a lot of the rules that we've been taught about success from society. And this is one of them, which is achievements equal success. We're also dealing with our brains. So when you achieve something, you get a hit of dopamine in your brain. It feels good. So in many ways, it's very easy to think of achievement as actually happiness at work. But I, and you know, again, this is, I call that, it's like the sugar version of happiness at work. It's very short-lived and it's just not sustainable. You'll crash very soon afterwards. And everyone can relate to that feeling of you win something and you're like, woohoo, this is great. This is awesome. And then the next day you're like, wait, it's all gone. I don't feel any different, which is why things like this is extrinsic motivation at work, which is why then you have to go get another achievement. You have to win something else to get a little shot of that good feeling. So what I would want to help you understand and unravel is that you have an achievement junkie tendency, which everyone has. And if you peel that layer back, your core emotional challenge is underneath that. It's deep in your psyche and it's unconscious. So one question I would say to you is, or ask is, when was the last time you felt exceptionally fulfilled or intrinsically motivated by an impact you had? Like you felt, and I don't know your personality type, if you're a feeler or a thinker, and if you actually feel things in your body or it's all mental, but it's an example of just feeling like in that moment, this is the impact I want to have in the world. This feels right. Do you have a moment? Well, it's hard to identify like an exceptional peak because like in, in many ways, sort of doing my daily work, you know, there's a lot of that in terms of, mm. yeah, I think it's really awesome to talk to you and discover some things and then share it with the world. And, and it feels very edifying when <laughs> there's a very genuine compliment, an email, a comment on the blog post or whatnot, like that a listener picked up some real s stuff of value and, and they have been positively transformed as, as a result. I mean, I think that's awesome. So is it that transformation? If someone says, Pete, I was just transformed from that podcast. 
does that do anything for you? Oh yeah. That's awesome. So what about that is awesome? Why is it transformation in particular? Well, I think so. What are the alternatives? (laughs) (laughs) Well, if I said to you, I was energized. How does that feel? Well, I guess that's nice, but it's not as good. <laughs> okay, there you go. So there's, see the language there, you're having a different reaction. Yeah. So, I mean, honestly, the core emotional challenge can take some time to dig into. I don't know if we have time to do that today, but some people it's really on the surface and other, for others, it's, it's very deep because it's often with our psychology, something we're not aware of, we're not paying attention to it. And it does require going into a painful place, yeah. which some people are more comfortable with than others. Mm -hmm. And you can think of, and, and when I work with my clients, we go through their whole life story in about an hour and a half. And there are invariably, and maybe this will spark some thoughts, but invariably people, everyone has these moments of pain. Or moments that they, because we don't, I don't know how old you are, but at a certain point you forget, you know, a lot of your childhood, Yeah. but everyone has these very specific memories that are really precise. Like, oh, when I was in third grade and this teacher did X, Y, Z, I'll never forget that. Do you have any stories like that that come to mind? Mm. It's funny. And you got me all over the place here. I remember one time I, I was thinking I was talking about, I don't know, chess or something with my dad. Hmm. Or like ratings or, cause I thought that was an interesting concept. Oh, chess ratings to see who, who's the best mathematically. <laughs> yeah. And it was like, oh, hey, so dad, you think my rating might be this or this? And he was just like, why is it always with the winning? <laughs> or with you, it was like, oh, okay. Kind of startled. And then another time, I think I was really putting some pressure on myself to get straight A's in high school. And my mom was like, hey, just so you know, we don't need that from you. We don't expect that from you. And mm. we will love you. And it's completely okay if you get some B's and C's. But I guess I was like, well, my brother was a valedictorian. Therefore, I have to be the valedictorian. Mm. And so in a way, it's kind of funny. I'm thinking about like the cautionary bits as opposed to like a, a, a particular wounding. Mm. And then as we think about impact, I guess I'm thinking about times I felt really well, wait a second. Hold on. Those are two very juicy stories. All right. Those are really a... good because <laughs> what that tells me is that you were on this path of achievement. I'm going to win at all costs. Yeah. It's interesting. You just did a reaction. You said when your dad was like, what's with the winning? And you're just like, ah, there was this frustration there. Hmm. And at the root of frustration is disconnection. And in both of those scenarios, there's, I feel like from both of your parents, there's this questioning, as you just said it too, questioning. Why? Yeah. And I think it was well-intentioned questioning. Right. Of course. In terms of they really wanted me to like, hey, man, don't give yourself a panic attack. I mean, you're great. You don't need to overdo it. Mm. Well, here's another question. When someone questions you, does it trigger you? Meaning, do you get frustrated very easily? It's funny. Sometimes, yes. Most of the time, no. And I don't know the difference. But Mm. Laura, I love what I think we've got enough of a sample. uh, (laughs) And not that I'm chickening out. We can do this again later. Well, you know what I would say, just to tie a bow on that? Yeah. Here's what I would say to you, is that this idea of someone questioning you is something to inquire upon. Think about it. Think about it. And I would say, start looking. And that's where the genius habit comes in, because you can get a tracker and start to pay attention to the moments where you are questioned. And that might be a breadcrumb to your core emotional challenge. 
Mm-hmm. And so now the conversation we just had there, it sounds like within your books and the quizzes, folks can have a bit of that conversation internally. And of course, folks can hire you. Uh, always an option. <laughs> of course. And so how else might you recommend folks engage in these sorts of discovery conversations? I would say this is really the at the heart of all of this is it's an invitation for individuals, especially highly driven people that want to do a lot with their lives to do it in a way that feels good. I think one of the biggest areas of opportunity that I've seen is that success that looks one way, it looks good, but it doesn't feel good. And what I would welcome people to do is buy the book, learn the genius habit, but see it as a way of getting more powerful in terms of leveraging one of the greatest powers you have, which is being who you are, and then being able to advocate in your existing role or in a new role for work that, going back to what we said before, is energizing and exciting, and that that opportunity is always available to you. Mm-hmm. Oh, thank you. Well, well that, that is a nice little bow indeed. And, and Laura, tell me, anything else you want to make sure to mention before we shift gears and hear about a few of your favorite things? The last thing I would say is we didn't really get to talk about the tracker. And I would say that is just a, a very uh, a fundamental component of the genius habit. So I would encourage everyone. That's basically what I said to you, which is go deeper with this thing of questioning. Anyone here listening can go to my website and download a performance tracker, the zone of genius tracker. And with that alone, you can begin to get more connected to yourself and understand your own zone of genius and be able to create work and advocate for work that is, feels as good as it looks. So that's available to you all. All right. Thank you. Well, now, Laura, can you share a favorite quote, something you find inspiring? Joseph Campbell. The privilege of a lifetime is being who you are. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that quote is just a beautiful articulation of everything that I'm all about. All right. And can you share a favorite study or experiment or bit of research? There is so much research that I cite in The Genius Habit and Find Your Zone of Genius. I would say, you know what, at the heart of all of this, especially because we talked about, you know, where this all began, is that my love for Mihalesha Sexmihai and the book Flow and all of the research that he did on peak performance and how, and one of the things that he said that came through his research which has fueled me is that we are happiest when we're working, but only when that work creates flow or you are in the zone. So that's a favorite one. Mm -hmm. And any other favorite books? About a million, but I would say flow is on the top of my list. I love that book. I'm also a big, you know, Adam Grant fan. So anything Adam Grant writes, I think is fantastic. He's gotten really popular these days. Anything based on any new research on performance or happiness or success, I'm all over. Oh, and Dan Gilbert. Mm -hmm. He is another favorite author of mine. Stumbling on Happiness is a fantastic one because speaking of research, we think we know what will make us happy. And Dan Gilbert's books really help you understand that what we think is has no real validity when it comes to what really will make us happy. So that's a good one. Mm-hmm. And a favorite tool. So that you used to be awesome at your job. Well, I'm going to uh, talk about my tracker. I just love it. Okay. <laughs> oh, and you know what? It's, I also have, I'm a, I love tracking. And for those listeners who are trackers, the tracker is like a Fitbit for your work experience. So I use it every week and I have done so for 10 years. So that's my favorite tool. 
Okay. Other than a fact, uh, I do have an aura ring, oh, yeah. which is one of my all-time favorite tools that I use. I don't know if you're familiar with the aura ring. Well, I've heard of it. They, they've almost sponsored the show. I don't know <gasps> what the holdup oh. was. Guys, just Come if anyone's on. listening, because uh, <laughs> I was excited. One of your favorite customers <laughs> is here. This is great. I'm a huge fan of the aura ring. I've been using it for like four or five. I've probably used it longer than most. I'm an early adopter when it comes to tracking tools. Yeah. Well, we can dork out about that for a long time, but maybe for just one minute. Okay. Yeah. If I already have a Fitbit, <gasps> is the aura ring going to do anything above and beyond what the Fitbit's doing for me? I went from a Fitbit to an aura ring. And I have to say, you know, again, as someone who I didn't like having it on my wrist, I prefer it on my okay. finger. So form factor preference. But from a data perspective, I would say Fitbit has also evolved tremendously. I would say they're all amazing. I think for me, what makes the aura ring so great is just the fact that it's just a ring versus anything on my wrist. Well, and it, it looks cool. And because you can wear it with a dress. Okay. Not that we've worn dresses, but not in the pandemic, but I hope to in the near future. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Okay. And is there a key nugget you share that seems to connect and resonate with folks? They quote it back to you a lot. Well, this was a, a quote I shared in the pandemic, and I think that resonated, which was, when everything is uncertain, the one thing that's certain is being who you are. And I've, it's actually something I said in an interview, and I ended up putting it on a mug right here. Mm -hmm. And I think about it a lot myself. I think it's, it's very grounding to think about that when at a time in our world where there's a lot of uncertainty. Okay. And if folks want to learn more or get in touch, where would you point them? To my website, to laragarnet.com, where you can download a tracker. You can certainly go and purchase Find Your Zone of Genius and The Genius Habit. And of course, go take the Zone of Genius quiz. That's just zoneofgeniusquiz.com. Go check it out. And please let me know, please. And of course, I also, if you go to the website, I have a newsletter. I send out free advice and thoughts, and I'm always talking about kind of what's new and present for me in my newsletter that comes out every three weeks, and it's called The Fast Track. All right. And do you have any final challenges or call to actions for folks seeking to be awesome at their jobs? I'm going to build off of what you said. I think it's, I just want to help people understand that having work that is energizing, fun, fulfilling that that actually is not a fantasy and it is all readily available to you. And it starts with knowing who you are and building new habits. So I would just say, if that is a dream you have that you haven't achieved, there is a way. And I would certainly love to help you with this work. All right, Laura, thank you. This has been a treat and I wish you much fun and genius moments. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. This has been so fun. I've really been chewing on Laura's perspective on the core emotional challenge and the purpose and how when you flip one, you get to the other. And it's been some, some fun introspection and awareness generation. So I encourage you to likewise do some positive reflection there. And again, if you want to reference some tools that might help you along the way, well, we've linked to them at the show notes page, which is at awesomeatyourjob.com slash EP715. Hope to catch you next time and peace. Thanks for listening. To get the most out of the show, we recommend two key things. First, check out the extra resources at awesomeatyourjob.com. You can find this episode's transcript and links, as well as the perfect episode for your situation. You can search the full text transcripts of hundreds of episodes or explore episodes tagged by topic and competency covered. 
Second, subscribe to the podcast and get future episodes automatically. You can subscribe by telling Siri and several other smartphones and speakers, subscribe to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast or by tapping subscribe in your podcast player of choice. If you'd like some extra help figuring out podcasts and how subscriptions work, visit awesomeatyourjob.com slash subscribe for guidance. Hope to catch you on the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job.